Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. the middle of the week it is wednesday june 6 uh, june 15th 2022 i was already planning for the uh, back end of the work week nearly going with the 16th hi there i'm josh pacheco bobby's got the day off today it is the bobby curran show on espn honolulu at 92.7 fm and 1420 a.m all of our guests when they appear they do so courtesy of our hotline the u.s open is coming up tomorrow uh, Cam Rogers is going to join us uh, as uh, he is one of the podcasters who's co- who covers the U.S. Open. And uh, uh, one of the things that we'll talk about with Cam, because you've probably heard in the last couple of days, and we talked about this on the show yesterday, uh, how it seems like a lot of the golfers are not happy that everybody's talking about the Live Tour. Brandel Chambly had a tweet about guys like Gary Player and Phil Mickelson that is probably as extreme of a take as I have ever seen. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll talk with Cam coming up a little bit later on in the program. Michael J. Duarte from NBC in Los Angeles will, uh, will be with us coming up in hour number two of the program. The Los Angeles Dodgers uh, get swept by the Giants over the weekend. Uh, the Dodgers took on the Los Angeles Angels yesterday uh make no mistake though offensively the dodgers have really started to struggle they only scored two runs yesterday in their two nothing win over the angels so what's wrong is there something wrong uh we'll talk with michael j duarte coming up at the bottom of the hour and i believe um and we're getting final confirmation on this uh we're going to talk about an espn 30 for 30 that premieres tonight it's called dream on and uh dream on talks about the uh, 1996 women's olympic basketball team and their journey uh we're gonna do a live interview of that coming up in the eight o'clock hour right here on this radio program you can text us via the zephyr insurance text line at 808-296-1420 you can call us at 808-296-1420 and you can tweet the program at Bobby Curran Show, you can get to me directly at Josh on the radio. Right now, it's time for the latest headlines. This is Current Events. The sports stories you need to know. Here's your current events. If you're a fan of those getting paid, guess what? We've got news for you from the National Football League. Minka Fitzpatrick's getting paid by the Pittsburgh Steelers. This down just moments ago from NFL Network's Ian Rappaport. Fitzpatrick is getting uh, $18.4 million a year in uh, what is being described as a four-year deal. Uh, Big for Minka Fitzpatrick, who last year uh, combined 124 tackles, which I believe was the most in a season for him. Did have a couple of interceptions, but that was a, a huge, huge season for him. 
and he is getting uh, certainly paid well for it by the Pittsburgh Steelers. So congratulations to Minka Fitzpatrick on a, on a deal that is worth $18.4 million a year. Current events. Uh, if you want to keep your job as someone who is going to perform at college baseball's biggest event, don't do something that would tick off the people that you probably would want to be performing around. And that is what Zach Collier did. Zach Collier was supposed to perform the national anthem at the Men's College World Series. But you see, he was at the Women's College World Series a week prior, and he did something that caught the ire of the NCAA. He did the uh, opposite of hook him horns. He did the horns down gesture. And because he did horns down, the NCAA saw it, and they emailed him and told them uh, he can't perform at the, the Men's College World Series because, quote, we have documented proof that he made offensive gestures in mockery of our participating team, and we do not feel comfortable allowing him to perform. Yes, that is a, that is a real thing. Collier, by the way, uh, saying, and I quote, the reason, uh, he said, uh, I mocked the other team. Those words specifically are why I posted about it because he put all the, you know, all the stuff on Facebook, all the, the, the correspondence on Facebook. Uh, said, saying that I'm making a mockery of a participating team because I put a horns down is ridiculous, close quote. First off, what's ridiculous is posting the entire conversation on Facebook. Uh, there is... No way that there or there is one way that I could care less about getting sympathy for this guy and that is reading emails uh, Screenshots of emails that have to do with not performing the national anthem is a waste of my time Secondly, if you really think that Horns down is not making a mockery of a participating team Then maybe don't make the gesture in the first place if you don't know what the gesture means because I think we all know that Horns Down makes a mockery of Texas, and there is a reason why the Big 12 made a rule about Horns Down not that long ago, punishing people that would do that in Big 12 competition. So I have no sympathy for this dude. You're not performing the national anthem? Fine. They'll probably get someone better. Did I, did, I, did I lose it there on number two? I kind of did. Next. Current events. The New York Yankees continue to play well after a shutout win yesterday over the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, and they will continue second game of that series coming up at 105 this afternoon. The Yanks are 45 and 16. It is the best record in Major League Baseball. We'll see how long they can keep that up. It's part of a doubleheader on our sister station, CBS 1500. Royals, Giants, coverage at 915. Uh, Yankees and Rays to follow right after that. And that is today's current events. I wonder how many people didn't think that horns, horns down is not a mockery of the Texas Longhorns. You laughed at, I, I, it sounds like you genuinely didn't know about this story when I brought it up in current events, but, uh, and I'm looking at Tanner Hayworth back in the control room, but I, I saw this online and I thought, okay, um, fine. I, I, I didn't, I failed to see the outrage of not being allowed to perform the national anthem because of horns down. Um, 
but also you have to kind of, I mean, he didn't know that Texas was going to be in the men's college world series when he put the hook em horns down sign at the women's college world series. But we always learn and, and parents, you teach this to your kids often. I'm sure there is always a consequence to your actions. We learn this all the time. Uh, and any action that you make, there is probably going to be some sort of subsequent reaction to it. And it's probably going to be some kind of reaction that you probably won't like, but you're going to have to deal with anyway. And that's what this is. Like, okay, was it a week ago? Yes. But do people, especially those around Texas, get sensitive about hook'em horns? Yes. Do they have a reason to be when... That's kind of their thing. Yes. So this, like, outrage over, oh, I don't get to perform because they call it a, 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 a gesture that makes mockery. Like, stop. You know, the only thing worse that he did, that this guy did, was, and I, and I think this is strategic. The only thing worse this guy did was post it on social because we all know what the attempt was by putting it on social, Right. The attempt to put it on social was to basically uh, gain a following because now more people know this guy's name because he's not performing it at, uh, at the College World Series and he's posted all the receipts saying as such that he's not performing at the College World Series. The sympathy line uh, doesn't actually work here. And Tanner reminds me, uh, and, and, I, and I gloss by this in the story, it's true. Uh, this guy did graduate from Texas A&M. <laughs> uh, and Texas A&M, by the way, is also at the Men's College World Series. Texas A&M is, uh, Texas is, but uh, sorry, dude, you don't, get, uh, you don't get any sympathy from me because you're not performing. The College World Series does need some better acts, though, at, uh, uh, for the national anthem. They need they need some heavy hitters there in Omaha. It is the Bobby Curran Show here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. You can text the program at 808-296-1420, and you can call us at 808-296-1420. One of the big stories that we'll get into in about, about eight minutes here on the show is uh, a tweet from Brandel Chambly because... Golf is apparently now more of a talking point than ever. Uh, a, a tweet from Brandel Shambly saying that some guys probably should not be allowed in the Golf Hall of Fame because they compete on the Live Tour, which is uh, remarkably crazy. But again, that's about eight minutes away. We are getting ready for the NBA Finals as well with game number six coming up tomorrow. It's, it's funny that we're coming off of a performance in which Steph Curry didn't hit a three in game five, yet by the numbers, and Kirk Goldsberry has a good piece on uh, on ESPN.com. It's, it's behind the ESPN Plus paywall, but if you get an opportunity to read it, um, you know, read it. Kirk Goldsberry is really great with numbers and the statistical analysis of things. You know, Steph is averaging 30.6 points per game here in the finals. That is uh, that is better than what anybody is is doing. But listen to this stat on 
points per shot on jumpers. Steph Curry is in, in playoff series since 2014. Uh, Steph is third in points per shot or points per possession on jump shots. They've started tracking this, I guess, back in 2014. And this is of instances of guys who take 70 jump shots in a series. Uh, Steph is behind Jamal Murray from Denver back in 2020 with um, against the Jazz and uh, Chris Middleton four years ago against the Boston Celtics. Uh, but factor that in with these numbers because he's hit already 25 threes in this series. Nobody is close to that. Uh, Steph is closing in on his own record for most threes made in the finals. He's got, uh, what does he have? I think 32 is his record going back to 2016. Uh, so he is eight away to get to to, uh, to to 33, which would break the record. And let's be honest, Steph Curry can hit eight threes in a game. He's more than capable, and he probably uh, will get there. But while we've spent so much time on Steph Curry, the three-point shooter, we forget about kind of the weirdness of this playoffs. And I think it tells you what Steph is doing right now. It, I, I, don't, I don't know what is lingering outside of that, that foot issue that he dealt with a couple of games ago. Steph is not great from the free throw line right now. It is one of the surprises that Steph is dealing with. His free throw shooting is a little below par. His three-point shooting, you know, despite going 0 for 9 in game 5, he's still shooting... Uh, 42% almost from outside the three-point line. But it's outside of that. A lot of that stuff is, is the familiar. Inside the arc, Steph is still performing at a really good clip. He's, what, just under 52% on shots inside the arc, which is, you know, better both of those numbers uh, are better than guys like what Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown is shooting, what, 41% from the floor, but he's just under 31% from outside the arc. Um, you know, Jason Tatum is 19 for 62 outside of the arc. And Steph, even with one bad night, is, uh, is, is still the class of this series when it comes to shooting the basketball. I mean, to me, no matter what happens in this series, Steph has already locked down the MVP award. If they were to, to lose the next couple of games, even you know, unless he gets hurt, if they were to lose the next couple of games, Steph Curry is still the MVP of the series. And his shooting ability, despite what the numbers said in one game, has been incredibly off the charts. And his, uh, I, I mean... It's even proven that he can do enough to 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 force a team into a win in game five with the help of guys like Andrew Wiggins and still be somewhat of a factor even in one of his worst shooting nights in years. But he is clearly, uh, at his age, still firing on a on a career. And uh, and potentially all-time clip. It's it's incredible to see what Steph has been able to do and how the numbers. I mean, just imagine what his numbers are like if he has a better game five by just like a couple of shots. Uh, that would be amazing. 
just kind of padding what would be what is already a Hall of Fame resume that he's put together. Uh, but this is an MVP resume that stands out when we probably uh, wouldn't have locked that in before this series started. You can text us at 808-296-1420. Call us there. Uh, tweet us at Bobby Curran Show, at Josh on the radio. Uh, coming up, we'll turn to golf. Cam Rogers is going to join us at the bottom of the hour. But one former golfer, now television analyst, saying something that is around everything that has been polarizing over the last week. Maybe one of the more polarizing things we've heard. That coming up in just a couple of minutes. If you are looking for a great gift for Father's Day, where would where, where else would you go than City Mill, where you can search an entire store full of dad's stuff. That's at City Mill and CityMill.com. Bobby's off today. I'm Josh Pacheco. It's the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. And the Sideline Hawaii. Oh, the good old Zephyr Insurance text line is already buzzing after one segment. In our uh, current events, we brought up the story of one uh, one individual who was supposed to sing the national anthem at the Men's College World Series but has been banned from doing so because uh, he did the upside-down hook'em horns at the Women's College World Series and uh, because Texas is participating in the Men's College World Series, uh, the NCAA felt it was not right for this individual to perform the national anthem at the Men's College World Series. And you, via the text line, and even uh, those close to me here in the offices, not thrilled with my take, uh, but I'll start with the text line. Text from the 302. Your take on the World Series singer way off base. Obviously, you are reacting and haven't taken a second to look at the situation for what it is, specifically when it comes to actions having consequences. So he isn't allowed to participate in fandom? You are equating horns down to being an, as offensive and as a racist hand gesture. Um, first off, there are consequences to your actions. It's life. Can't convince me otherwise. You can be a fan. No one is saying you can't. Um, but you kind of have to understand that part of that includes kind of handling yourself accordingly. If you are a fan of A&M, which he is an alumni of, you know, cool. You can be a fan. And no one is saying you can't be a fan. Uh, but he did the hook him down, and Texas was there. This is at the Women's College World Series. And then, you know, I, I think we also have to kind of remind ourselves that Texas is participating in the Men's College World Series. So imagine that look that Texas is at the Men's College World Series and you've got this person who's obviously, you know, done a gesture that would get you punished if you were a student athlete at the, uh, uh, you know, if you were playing in the Big 12. Just kind of imagine why they would think it might not be a good idea. 
And yeah, yes, Texas was in the Women's College World Series, and obviously that probably wouldn't go over well. And I'm sure that it was probably Texas that probably went to the NCAA and said, really? Um, this is prob- this is who you're going to have perform the national anthem at the Men's College World Series? Are you really going there? Um, but again, there are consequences. And let me also remind you, too, that this is probably not even a thing except for the fact that this guy put all the correspondence on Twitter and made sure everybody got to understand his plight. If not for that, none of us would have known. So he's playing, clearly he's playing the sympathy card here so that we all can kind of understand his situation and and feel bad for him. Uh, Tanner has uh, never disagreed with me more on any topic that we have had Except for this one. Where am I wrong, Tanner? Tell, tell me where I am wrong in, in this, uh, this angle on the, on the uh, national anthem singer. There are points where I do agree. Oh, so it's not a complete. It's not a complete disagree. I beg to be wrong then. Okay. My, my issue is just the whole just anti-horns down whole thing from the Big 12 to the NCAA. Seeing as seeing it as an offensive hand gesture, mm-hmm. and I, I get why some Texas fans would see that as offensive, because it's school pride. You take a lot of pride in your school, and we all know Texas alums. They take a little more pride in their school than a lot of other people. Nothing wrong with that. And nothing wrong with that. And I think what horns down is is the whole is the attack against that school pride. It's like. You guys are so, like, horns up, horns up all the time. Horns down. We don't want to do that. It's like, so it's then seeing the Big 12 just go, you can't do that. That's going to be a 15-yard penalty. What does that do more than further emphasize, okay, Texas is being a little a little bit dramatic over this. So then the horns down probably becomes way more popular around the nation than it is than just Oklahoma, than just Texas A&M, okay, than so just other Big 12 schools. Like, right. was it uh, West Virginia, I believe, that mm-hmm. had the penalty yeah. in, like, 2018? Weird memory to pull out. But, but here's, just, here's the thing, though, um, and, and I, I brought this up to you, and I don't, I don't think we could ever figure out an answer to it, is name me another school in which their signature thing, whatever their signature thing is, in, in, in Texas's case, it's, it's, it's hook of horns, Name me another school in which their signature thing is mocked as much as Hook'em Horns is to the point where it's done upside down and, and it's felt as it's, you know, a, uh, it's an insult to the point. That, I mean, there, there's got to be a reason why the Big 12 put a punishment down on that outside of, well, it's just because you made it upside down. Name me another school where that is a problem. Well, then I would say name me another school that has such an easy way to support the school other than just using two fingers on your hands. Well, that's college and athletics, I, But that's what, I, what I'm trying to say is that it's a very simple thing to just do. It's like, oh, horns up, horns down. It's the direct opposite of it. So it's probably also the easiest one to come up with. Like, I can't think of another school's positive thing. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's so simple 
that everyone can know it that it's so much easier to just go the exact opposite of it. And now with like trying to go back to the national anthem singer doing it, do you want your national anthem singer to do horns down to the Texas section of the fans in the Women's College World Series? Probably not. No. Because you just want the guy to, hey, you're just going to sing the national anthem, you know, take pride in your country, and then there's your part of the section, and then you're all good. Well, I think this is the other part, though. Um, if Texas isn't participating in the Men's College World Series, I don't think this happens. A. Um, B, I don't think we talk about this if this guy doesn't go attention-seeking and put the whole correspondence on social media. Well, then, the, as the NCAA, then why don't you just tell him, hey, last time you did this thing, you did the horns down, First, is is this for the World Series? So, like, at the very end, after all the Super Regionals what, are done? I don't know what, well, yeah, this College World Series coming up this starting right. this weekend in Omaha. So, why not just not have him perform at a Texas game? Well, I don't, I don't know that it works that way. I think you you have one performer a day. I don't think you have a performer before every single game. So, so then just don't schedule Texas first. Well, it's already scheduled. <laughs> I I don't know. Then put him on another day. Yeah, I and don't, hit him I, with a warning. I, say, I, hey, we saw what you did last time. It doesn't go. It it goes against of what we want. The NCAA and warnings. The NCAA does that? Well, then it's the whole thing. It's just like it's common sense. We know NCAA is not going to be common sense. True. What? But then, uh. then, then what do you want more from the NCAA than just be like, hey, we understand what you did. We see that you're a Texas A&M grad. You take pride in your school, another school that takes a little more pride in their school, probably a little bit more than Texas from some people. But I think – what the NCAA didn't need to do was to say, you're gone, no warnings yeah. attached. And I think that's just what people want to see, is just to say, hey, let's think about this like a person-to-person kind of deal. Let's be real. This isn't gravely affecting people. And if he does it again after you warn him, then get him out. Yeah, by that point, then it's don't too late. Have him, then don't have him perform ever again. Yeah, by that point, it's too late, though. Uh, we'll talk with Cam Rogers. He's got the uh, the, the Lock It Down podcast. We'll, we'll get into the U.S. Open with him. Eddie texts in via the Zephyr Insurance text line, Texas has become sensitive to their own ego. Honestly, in college sports, who hasn't? College sports is so full of ego. It's not just Texas. It's everybody. This was not Texas's decision, though. Uh, we'll check on traffic right now. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by PVT Land Company, supporting academics, athletics, and the community on the YNI Coast. U.S. Open starts tomorrow. As you can imagine, the conversation around the event has had, well, very little to do with the event, uh, especially because uh, Live Tour golfers are around for this event. There's an interesting tweet from Brandel Chambly last night. And before I bring Cam Rogers, I'm going to read this tweet, my quote. As far as I know, it's never happened that an athlete has been kicked out of their Hall of Fame 
but both Norman and Mickelson, being Greg Norman and Phil Mickelson, should be removed from the Hall of Fame. They've dishonored the game, and they threatened to destroy the game that they have both so enormously profited from, close quote. That's a great segue to bringing in Cam Rogers, host of the Lock It In podcast on the Believe Podcast Network and a national golf and betting analyst. Uh, and you wonder why there aren't as many people talking about the U.S. Open when you have tweets like that, Cam. Uh, what's, what's your takeaway from, uh, from, from seeing that tweet? Hey, Josh. Great to catch up with you, my friend. Yeah, that's a great way to start the segment there. And let me just say, first of all, I thoroughly enjoy listening to Brandel Chambly before every major championship, getting his insight and thoughts and what have you. But he totally missed it with that tweet. I mean, are you serious right now? As if Phil Mickelson and Greg Norman did not work hard for the wins that they obviously have on their mantle, if you will, from the PGA Tour. It's not like the PGA Tour just gave them victories. They worked for that money, worked for those trophies, so they should be in the Hall of Fame. They should not be removed just because they want to cash out a little bit on uh, some money. In terms of, you know, Phil Mickelson, we're talking about somebody who lost $40 million in gambling. Like, are we surprised he went ahead and cashed out on $200 million guaranteed? I could not disagree with that tweet anymore. And uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, that is just adding fuel to the fire, if you will, of this conversation, which, by the way, is fascinating. But also, we have a U.S. Open this week. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. You know, these golfers coming here to the U.S. Open is, is taking come of the, some of the spotlight away from the U.S. Open. And I know some of the golfers don't like it. But at the same time, I mean, that's the state of this sport as it currently sits right now. I mean, you can't yeah. really get around that at the moment. Right, and then you have somebody like Brooks Kepka getting all mad yesterday during this press conference as if he's, like, surprised the journalists are doing their job and asking him about the Live Tour, which, by the way, Brooks didn't exactly give the PGA Tour a ringing endorsement yesterday when he basically said, well, where else do I go? Like, I'm here, and I'm just thinking to myself, really, Brooks? Like, that's how we're going to navigate this one? So I find it bizarre when players get mad like that. And then also, just on the flip side, Phil Mickelson's press conference was a disaster. He looked unprepared, uninterested, awkward at times. It didn't seem like Phil to me. And for somebody who basically was in the dark for five months, you would think he would huddle up with his PR team, if you will, and figure out a way to answer these questions as if he wasn't going to be asked them. And so, you know, it's been a really wild week of covering the game of golf, let me tell you that. We're expecting common sense from people who make eight figures. Uh, you don't always <laughs> you don't always get that. Uh, Cam Rogers with us, host of the Lock It In podcast on the uh, Believe Podcast Network. He's also their national golf betting analyst. Uh, but but one of the other things on this is the golfers that are are going on the Live Tour. You know, I, I've heard some people say, well, these golfers couldn't. You know, they're probably past their due on on winning on tour. You know, is that something we can say here about this U.S. Open event that some of those golfers who have have gone on to that tour coming back to play at this event that they probably have very little of a shot of winning at the u.s open yeah i think that's fair to say for about 95 percent of the live golfers here playing this week the only two i would probably give a slim chance to would be louis ustazen who has a really good u.s open resume even the past few years he was second place last year and Patrick Reed, who's been really steady at U.S. Opens in his career, really steady at major championships in general. But outside of those two, yeah, I think it's pretty much 
a no-chance sort of situation here, even for Dustin Johnson, which is weird to say, but he's been really bad so far in 2022. He wasn't even that great during the Live Golf event last week, you know? Finishing inside the top 10 isn't exactly a high achievement in that field in a small field event. So, you know, I think for the most part, these Live Golfers have to deal with, A, a really difficult golf course, and B, the media distractions and, you know, dealing with all these questions and what have you, which is an extra added layer of difficulty for these guys this week. What do we need to know about Brookline as people get ready to watch the, uh, the U.S. Open? I'm standing here 45 minutes away from the golf course. My dad has played it a few times. I know some people with the boots on the ground, of course, there right now. Historic golf course. It's a par 70, 7,200 yards, founded in 1882, hosting the U.S. Open for the first time since 1988. It's a short track, 7,200 yards, right? So it's not typical of a U.S. Open. You know, we're not talking about a big ballpark here like Torrey Pines or Wingfoot. So I think it's going to bring in a lot of different types of golfers to the top of the leaderboard, ball strikers and bombers, but also some short game artists, some putters and what have you. A lot of uneven lies on this golf course, blind approach shots, some odd angles, second smallest screens in major championship history. So honestly, Josh, I think this could be a scramble fest where everybody's missing greens. So it comes down to who are the best players in terms of saving par and scrambling and putting here this week. And I think that's going to be the key. So this might be a, a particularly lower scoring U.S. Open. You know, there's some potentiality for that, for sure. The winds are going to be calm here this week. I don't think wind is going to be much of a factor. You know, you have some pretty thick rough, and you have the bunkering around all of these greens throughout this golf course. So, you know, I'm projecting four under par, five under par winning score, which is fairly in line with Chambers Bay in 2015 and Oakmont in 2016. But I'm not seeing like a one over par or two over par winning score here this week. You know, lastly, and, and Cam Rogers joining us, uh, national golf and betting analyst, uh, Colin Morikawa has been pretty quiet lately. Um, hmm. You know, we, we talked about him at one point as, as having a pretty fantastic run. But as he's been pretty quiet as of recent, what, what do you think has led to that? Yeah, you know, the ball striking has not been as good as we are used to with Colin Morikawa. I mean, typically we're talking about Ben Hogan-esque sort of irons, right? I mean, that's what has allowed him to win a couple of major championships. But to your point, yeah, he's been very quiet. And so I'm not high on him this week because with his ball striking as it is right now, that means he's going to miss a lot of greens. And the problem with Colin is that he doesn't have that short game to rely on. He's one of the worst in this field this week in terms of strokes gained around the green and also with his putter. So I think he could be in for perhaps a miscut sort of situation here at the U.S. Open. And uh, he'll have to move on to the Open Championship off of uh, maybe some bad memories here at the U.S. Open. But, yeah, it's been a curious pace for him so far this year. He'll be fine, obviously. He's young, uber-talented, but he's just in a bit of a rut right now. Lastly, I've got your uh, Lock It In Power rankings right in front of me. And uh, while you've got Xander Schauffele as your pick to win, I'm looking down at number nine, and I see Matt Fitzpatrick's name uh, on your Lock It In Power rankings. Take me through that. Yeah, winner here at the Country Club at the U.S. Amateur back in 2013, so he has some good memories there. Fifth at the PGA Championship, which is, by the way, his only second top ten in a major, but I think that's significant, though, because he can carry that momentum over to this tournament. And going back to February, Fitzpatrick has finished tenth or better in six of seven starts when he's made the cut. 
The ball striking is really, really good. T12 at Shinnecock and Pebble Beach, the 2018 and 2019 U.S. Opens as well. So, you know, short golf course, grind it out sort of atmosphere. That screams Matt Fitzpatrick to me. That's why we bring in Cam into this conversation every time we've got a major championship. Cam Rogers, Lock It In podcast on the Believe Network and National Golf and Betting Analyst. Cam, good to uh, catch up with you. Thank you so much and enjoy the Open. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate you. Take care. All right, Cam and all of our guests appears courtesy of our hotline uh, here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. More on uh, that Brandel Chambly tweet I want to get to coming up in a little while and why it only furthers kind of the divide right now we kind of have in uh, in golf's professional circuits. That's coming up. But uh, I've got some summer fun for all your youth uh, baseball players. It's the Hawaii Rainbow Warrior Youth Skills Camp uh, going on now. And it's not just, you know, baseball players, softball players as well. Uh, pick from one of eight four-day camps through August 4th, open to boys and girls entering kindergarten through eighth grade. Register by going to hawaiiathletics.com and clicking on the camps button. Traffic right now here on the Bobby Curran Show. Follow us on Twitter at Bobby Curran Show. This is ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app. Buy or sells coming up in just a little while. We'll look at the Dodgers' offensive woes with uh, Michael J. Duarte from NBC Los Angeles coming up uh, in just a little while. And in the final hour of the radio program, uh, Kristen Lapis, who's the director of Dream On, which is the ESPN 30 for 30 premiering tonight. Uh, we'll talk with Kristen coming up at about 8.20. I want to go back to that Brandel Chambly tweet last night saying that Greg Norman and Phil Mickelson should be removed from the Golf Hall of Fame because they quote, they've dishonored the game and they threatened to destroy the game that they have both so enormously profited from. So many people have profited from the game of golf. But how has uh, how, how has their actions threatened to destroy the game of golf? I'm I'm so amazed that whether, I mean, I we've talked about the Live Golf Tour more than I ever thought we would. But I am so amazed at the territorialism of this sport. I am so amazed that there is the belief that this is going to destroy the game. You know, really good business owners, business owners, they thrive on competition. They get better from competition because it makes them think about what they're doing, improve on what they're doing, and put out the best product they can in whatever industry that they're in. Instead, I look at the PGA Tour. They see competition. What are they doing? They're crying about it. They're threatened to destroy the game. It won't. The only thing that will destroy the game is your pettiness, which is... I mean, something that's not coming from the other side. It's only coming from the PGA Tour. Buy or sell is coming up in just a little bit. We'll also tell you uh, what's making the headlines at the top of the hour as well. This is the Bobby Curran Show. Josh Pacheco in for Bobby today. This is ESPN Honolulu. Now, Bobby Curran on ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app.
Great to have you in this morning. It is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Bobby's got the day off today. I'm Josh Pacheco. Thank you so much for allowing us in on your commute. All of our guests, when they appear, they do so courtesy of our hotline. Why are the Dodgers all of a sudden struggling offensively? We'll ask that of Michael J. Duarte from NBC Los Angeles, who will uh, be with us at the bottom of the hour. We're also going to preview the uh, the debut of a, a new ESPN 30 for 30 feature, uh, which comes up tonight. It will be replayed on uh, ABC over the weekend. Uh, Kristen Lapis, who's the director of Dream On, that new ESPN 30 for 30, will join us coming up uh, in the final hour of the show. And uh, on the way, we have the announcement of uh, the Father's Day contest that uh, that we did over at ESPNHonolulu.com and we'll announce the winner of that coming up uh, we'll do that at 7.20 this morning I think is when when we'll do that so right after our first break in the hour is when we'll announce the winner of, uh, of that Father's Day uh, handsome dad contest so if you entered and uh, you want to know were you handsome enough that's, that's kind of a kind of a weird way to put it but if you were uh we'll, we'll announce the top three because they all get different prizes we'll do that coming up in just a little while uh you want to get involved in the program you can text the zephyr insurance text line at 808-296-1420 you can call us at that same number and you can tweet us at bobby curran show uh, you can get to me directly at josh on the radio if you're just waking up some of the headlines that you might want to know minka fitzpatrick is getting paid just over $18 million a year for uh, for Minka Fitzpatrick in a four-year deal with the Pittsburgh Steelers. That is according to uh, NFL Media's Ian Rappaport. Got a couple of interesting Major League Baseball games coming up a little bit later on today, including the San Francisco Giants, who have been playing well at 35-26, and 26, hosting the Kansas City Royals. Uh, the New York Yankees, a shutout win yes- yesterday over the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, they'll play again today. Both of those games on our sister station, CBS 1500 coverage beginning at uh, at 915. And then, of course, the uh, the Angels and the Dodgers will play again uh, later today. And Dan Snyder, the owner of the Washington Commanders, will not testify in front of the House Oversight Committee on uh, June 22nd. Uh, not like anybody surprised on that. This is as uh, they are investigating Washington for workplace culture, uh, claims of sexual misconduct from a former employee, and uh, so much more. Roger Goodell has been invited to testify. We'll see if he is. But why is Dan Snyder not going to testify at the June 22nd hearing? Um, coincidentally, he's going to be out of the country. Not like, you know, you could have changed that. He's Dan Snyder after all. Uh, but we all knew, was Dan Snyder really going to cooperate in anything like this? No. And is Dan Snyder going to go down with a fight? Probably. There's still a lot of people who believe Dan Snyder should not be owning a National Football League team. And I think this is probably the big one of the bigger consequences of a few things. Not just this, but what happened last week with uh, the, the words from Jack Del Rio that led to the uh, Ron Rivera fine. Those words, in case you're wondering, uh, Del Rio basically was was critical of Black Lives Matter, and then he called the uh, the events of January 6, 2021 at the U.S. Capitol a dust-up. Um, Washington's been looking for government funding for a new stadium 
and it's very likely now that not only based on you know Jack Del Rio's words, uh, but also the fact that Dan Snyder's being uncooperative, and Dan Snyder's got a pretty gnarly reputation, it is very likely that uh, if the commanders are going to get a new stadium, it's going to be with no government funding. Uh, they're going to have to fund it themselves or get a you know some kind of a, another partnership with another private entity. And one last note on that before we get to buy or sell. I am absolutely against the idea of putting in money from the government to fund stadiums unless – oh, I'm getting the death stare look – unless – there is some kind of an agreement that they have some kind of a stake, uh, you know, in in things happening. And let me qualify this too, because I I I saw the death stare I just got. Um, I mean that more for professional leagues. I'm not talking about like this situation here in Hawaii with with the new Aloha Stadium Entertainment District, where it is a public-private partnership. But when you have um, you know, a, a wealthy owner who wants to build a new stadium because his or her stadium is becoming a dump and they want taxpayer money to fund it, I am a big believer in shutting that down quickly. If you have millions to billions of dollars, as a lot of these individuals who own teams do, if you own a team and you want to play in a venue that you want to consider yours, then, I don't know, it's kind of common sense you should pay for that venue in which your team's going to be playing in. I don't know why it's that hard. If you can't afford it, then don't build it. Or maybe do one better and maybe consider if it's becoming old, it's becoming a dump, and the place that you play in is not necessarily yours, maybe uh, work out some kind of agreement where you can come up with improvements to make that place that you play in less of a dump. Or if it is a government-controlled facility, put pressure on said government to fix the facility. But to want your own facility and have others pay for it is one of the greediest things we have in sports. Because those same people who are going to pay for it are already paying crazy amounts of money to park at the very venue. Do you think parking... Uh, at places here in Hawaii, like when you would park at Aloha Stadium when, when Aloha Stadium was open for sporting events or, you know, parking at other places expensive? No. Just wait at some place in the mainland when you pay like 100 bucks to park. Those same people paying 100 bucks just to park at a place and then pay the crazy ticket prices to go watch the game are the same ones paying taxes for said stadium. Does it not seem ridiculous that we have that kind of a culture running around in professional sports where ownership groups don't have to fully pay for their own stadiums where, you know, we're, we're already kind of, you know, gouging the regular old Joe like you and me. Now that that's out of my system, it's time for buy or sell. Let's hit it. The Bobby Curran Show presents buy or sell. I feel better. I wasn't expecting to go there, but I feel better standing up for every taxpayer who's had to either pay taxes or hope to get a refund. We're looking out for you. We're working for Hawaii, as uh, our good friends at KHON say. And in this case, we're working for the world. We care about the taxpayer. Tanner Hayworth, get me off my misery right here. Let's let's get buy or sell going. So the Pittsburgh Steelers, like you mentioned at the top of the hour, 
are making Minka Fitzpatrick the highest paid safety in NFL history, signing him to a four-year extension that'll be paying Fitzpatrick more than $18.4 million per year, confirmed by ESPN's Adam Schefter. Of course, that means a lot for this Pittsburgh Steelers defense, who just re-signed TJ Watt to an over $100 million uh, deal. And that means till at least 2024, the three-headed monster of that defense of TJ Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Cam Hayward will be secured, like I mentioned, until at least 2024. Mm-hmm. Buy or sell, the Pittsburgh Steelers need their big three on defense for any kind of a chance to return to the playoff chase. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because we don't know what they're going to look like offensively. Pittsburgh needs to go back to that steel curtain type of defense. And I realize that's that's asking of a lot to ask for said steel curtain type of defense. But that's kind of what's going to be required not to win a Super Bowl. This is not a Super Bowl championship team. Um, I don't even know if this is a division winning team. But even just to get to the postseason, this is going to be a team that's going to rely the most heavily on its defense in order to win. Mika Fitzpatrick's a big part of that. We read the numbers last hour. Maybe not big on numbers and interceptions. He had, I think, just two. Uh, But he had well over 100 tackles. It's the most in his career, I think, in a season. He was flying all over the place. He was important. And uh, I think he will be just as important this coming year. So good on Pittsburgh uh, for locking him up for the next four years. Buy or sell. sell. Sell, sell, sell. In the MLB, there are a couple of chases for divisions. Sure, it's only June, but it's always fun to keep on watching. Of course. Like in the NL West, we see the Dodgers, Padres, and Giants, like we all expected for the last two years, to be that three-headed race for that division. But highlighted here, which I want to highlight here, is the NL East. We all know about the New York Mets. They are without DeGrom and Scherzer, but have survived very well so far at 41 and 22 at, at 41 and 22 sorry as both Scherzer and DeGrom are slowly making their way back to getting some reps in to hopefully getting some starts before playoff time but it isn't just the Mets in the NL East as the Atlanta Braves are currently on a 13 game winning streak yep. as they sit about about 5 games behind the New York Mets Buy or sell. The NL East will be a race we'll be watching all season for sure. Sell. I'm selling it because at some point the Mets are going to, well, be the Mets. Meet the Mets. Greet the Mets. Step right up. Forget it. Uh, (laughs) I used to have this thing where every time the, this was back when I was on the Big Island. Anytime the Mets would blow a save at the end of a game, we'd play the, uh, the Mets fight song. And there was a point in time for a couple of weeks where we did that often because it was happening way too often. Uh, It's great that they've started well, but I I love what the Braves are doing. And if I had to tell you about someone we'd be watching toward the end of the year, uh, to me, it's Atlanta. Uh, I worry about the Mets uh, when we get toward the back end of the season. Uh, Even if you get some of those guys back, I worry about their long-term health. So, you know, We'll be spending more time watching the NL West 
I think we'll get more teams out of the NL West going to the postseason as compared to the NL East. So the West will be the most talked about division later on in the year. So uh, I will sell that. The East, eh, cool now, but not trendy later. Buy, 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 buy. or sell. Sell, sell, sell. And finally, guess what? What? The LIV, the PGA. You know, there's this whole thing, the U.S. Open. And the execution of that, by the way, did not go well when it was totally unplanned. But anyway, usually it's like, uh, guess what? What? I was late. <laughs> All good. We could just say there was a delay. They don't know. <laughs> like I'm at home, which I'm not today. Anyway. But like I mentioned, the U.S. Open is definitely right now in its airing of grievances mode as the PGA goes pretty much all in against the LIV. We've talked about it a lot already in the program. But there's something about the PGA and their constant crying about the LIV that's a little concerning. If you look at other leagues and their competitors, you can look back to the NBA and the ABA, who the, a the ABA started doing well. And then they eventually agree to merge, mm -hmm. and we have the NBA as we know it. You can look at the NFL and its many, many number of competitors, whether it be the USFL, whether it be the old AFL, NFL, oh, that's right. whether it even be the XFL. You know what the NFL has done? They've looked at what their competitors did, they saw why they failed, and they improved on it, and even taking stuff from those leagues. I'm saying the wire cam from the XFL because that's been probably the biggest good thing from the XFL in the 2000s is that it introduced the wire cam to the NFL. Well, you mean not the uh, uh, running toward the ball to, to determine who has possession Look, first? Look, I think that would be fun, fun thing to bring back if we want to raise the number of injuries. Yeah. But by yourself, <laughs> the PGA needs to stop whining and show the PGA is the superior league and snuff these guys out. Yeah, I'll buy that. Um, but I don't think you need to snuff, quote-unquote, snuff these guys out. Um, I, I don't get the whole territorialism of the PGA Tour, which you know, the PGA Tour doesn't even own all the territory. Golf is already broken up. It's just not really broken up in tours. You know, the PGA Tour doesn't run the U.S. Open. Uh, the U.S. Golf Association does. Uh, the PGA Championship is not run by the PGA Tour. It's run by the PGA of America. Uh, the Open Championship is run by RNA, Royal and Ancient Golf Club. You've got uh, the Masters, which is Augusta National. PGA Tour is just like the home for everything else to create kind of a league. But they don't run the biggest events. And... What this is showing is that you can live, no pun intended, um, you can live without having to be part of those other events and still make a fortune in golf. And, you know, the major events won't go away. They'll still, they'll still be there. Uh, if you can qualify for them, you know, great, just like people on other tours do, the European tour, et cetera. Um, the PGA Tour's territorialism is completely unfounded. And by the way, they've been playing the morality card. Where was the PGA Tour playing the morality card with Augusta National when they were kind of limiting their membership? Oh, wait, they weren't. 
because the PGA Tour needs Augusta National because it's part of one of the biggest majors of the year in the Masters. There was some change eventually, but it wasn't from the PGA Tour. It was from those on the outside. Golf has its own conflicts of interest. It really does. But the way it's been handled by those around the PGA Tour is uh, nothing short of just petty and disappointing because we know the PGA Tour and how it's handling things can be so much better. So, so much better. And that is today's... Buy, 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 buy. or sell. Sell, sell, sell. It is the Bobby Curran Show here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Uh, texter from the 343, and that's via the Zephyr Insurance text line. The big difference is the Live has a lot of money. You don't think the PGA Tour... Well, the PGA Tour, I think, is technically a nonprofit, But you don't think the PGA Tour has a lot of money, too? The difference is... On the PGA Tour, you have to earn your money. You don't get nine-figure appearance fees. But also, the PGA Tour is not invite-only, unless you get, like, a sponsorship exemption for an event, but that's also not a PGA Tour decision. Those are individual events. Um, you know, you don't get really a lot of money for finishing in 32nd place like you do at the live. You get like six figures, I think, for finishing like, you know, middle of the pack. It's it's crazy. There's a lot of there's a lot of money in the sport. The difference is, and, and we talked about this yesterday, and I I don't want to go full bore on this for the entire show, but the difference is where the money is coming from and how the money's being distributed. Um there is so much money in the sport. The live tour is just it's coming from the Saudi regime. And so as as we termed it yesterday, it's it's dirty money. And because of that, there is this need, and some people disagreed with what I said yesterday, but there is this need to kind of take a side over um you know over why you're going. There's a lot of money in the PGA tour. A lot of it is in broadcast money, which Liv doesn't have. PGA Tour gets a lot of its money from broadcast rights. It's partnership with NBC Universal for the Golf Channel, uh, with CBS. They have um, they have the rights to PGA Tour events through other sponsorship agreements. And the best part about the PGA, it's not hoarding all the money because some of that money, by the way, is really around those individual events. And the great thing about the PGA Tour, a lot of those individual events, some of that money, that goes to charity. Just see what you know. a lot of the events here locally do that give back. Um, I've always recalled um, you know, covering the Mitsubishi Electric Championship at Hualalai, a Champions Tour event that still goes down there every year. And you know, they've often given thousands and thousands of dollars to charity. You know, I know the, the Sony Open, uh, I think has been involved in that as well. I mean, there's money. It's the type of money. It's the way the money is being distributed. And, frankly, it's the way that these tournaments are a little bit different now. Shotgun starts and team scoring and no cuts and 54 holes instead of 72. You know, it's different. 
but it's not like the PGA Tour did everything the same way for every one of its events. I still go back to Stableford scoring that they do for one event. They have, you know, the PGA Tour partners with the World Golf Championship, which is not PGA Tour. World Golf Championship is separate. They have events that run around the tour that they have agreements with. Um, they have exhibitions that have team scoring that have celebrities. So what's the problem? And you know what? Sometimes I think we like to take a cue from the fans because I think we should. And one of the cues I take from the fans, watching Phil Mickelson yesterday and watching Phil after a tee shot, you got fans cheering for him, fans supporting him. I mean, I don't think the fans really care. I think the fans, the diehard fans, want golf. The only thing that is destroying the PGA Tour or, or destroying golf, which I don't think it is, the perception of it, is the PGA Tour. Because they're acting like petulant children. Oh, we need to get people out of the Hall of Fame. Because they're destroying the game. How? I see now more events. I see now names I haven't seen before. Is that bad? It's just the money's bad. But the golf? It's another conversation. Hey, Father's Day is coming up, by the way. And if you're looking for a great gift for your uh, favorite dad, which, by the way, they're all your favorite dad, yours and your father-in-law, search an entire store full of dad stuff. It's at City Mill and CityMill.com. You're listening to The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by Dr. Charles Arakaki at Ohana Men's Clinic. Visit DrCharlesArakaki.com. Current show here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Uh, the most handsome dad contest at ESPNHonolulu.com is complete, by the way. And uh, congratulations to our top three. Apparently, we had some really, really good entries. So thank you to everybody who uh, sent in a handsome photo of your dad. Or if you're a dad and you're really confident in your own looks that you sent in your own handsome dad photo... Uh, good on you, too. But here's our top three. Uh, so congratulations to the following. Our third place winner who scored uh, Yoas Sorbet and Aquascapes gift cards. That goes to Danielle from Waipahu. Danielle, congratulations. Our second place winner. And I. And by the way, if you're wondering, uh, I don't know the dad's name. So uh, I'm going by who submitted it. So, Danielle, congratulations, submitting uh, on behalf of your dad. 
uh, the second place winner of our Most Handsome Dads contest won a City Mill prize and a Pagoda Banquets and Catering Feast. And that goes to Crystal from Waipahu. So the winner of the, uh, the, the grand prize, which is a Castle Resorts and Hotel Staycation, that goes to Tasha from Eva Beach. Congratulations and uh, congratulations to your dad. And uh, thank you to everybody for playing along in our Most Handsome Dad contest. And to you, thank you for voting. Appreciate you helping us choose a winner in our contest. We got more cool stuff coming very soon. Uh, Beyond Monet tickets are coming very soon. So uh, stand by for that. And there's something we're going to tease coming up. Uh, and I, I know I'm getting way ahead of myself here. Uh, because I, I have a little bit of the inside because I can. We've got a pretty cool giveaway coming up very soon. So uh, stand by. Keep listening to ESPN Honolulu for uh, for more opportunities to win. Michael J. Duarte is going to join us from NBC Los Angeles. What has gone wrong with the Los Angeles Dodgers offensively? Yes, they win yesterday. 2-0 over the Los Angeles Angels. But they got swept by the Giants. Had two hits all series with runners in scoring position. So we ask the question, what has happened to the team that Dave Roberts said before the season, they will win the World Series? Which, you know me well enough, you know that's not going to happen. It shouldn't happen anyway. I'm a Giants fan. Why do I want to see the Dodgers win the World Series? But uh, what has happened to this Dodgers offense? Michael J. Duarte is going to join us coming up next. Courtesy of our hotline. Bobby Curran's got the day off today. I'm Josh Pacheco. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. You're listening to the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Text or call the show at 296-1420. You're listening to the Bobby Curran Show here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. I'm Josh Pacheco. Thank you so much for uh, allowing us to be a part of your commute. All of our guests, including Michael J. Duarte from NBC Los Angeles, are with us courtesy of our hotline. Uh, I'll start with a question I've been asking all morning. And in fact, I'm sure some of the people in Los Angeles have been asking over the weekend ever since the Giants swept the Los Angeles Dodgers. What's happened to the L.A. offense? Hey, Josh. Yeah, thanks for having me on. A great question. The L.A. offense has been missing in action, and I, I know this is not the excuse that Dodger fans want to hear or most people want to hear, but this team literally just came out of a run of 30 games in 31 days. Uh, the only day off they had was because of a rain out, and then they had to play a doubleheader the next day, two doubleheaders in that stretch. So it's been a wear and tear on them, and now they're finally coming out of it. And I'm not sure the why, you know, Dave Roberts and the Dodgers players will tip their caps to the opposing team's pitchers. You know, they said the same thing when they got swept by the Pittsburgh Pirates. They said the same thing after getting swept by the Giants. You have to tip your caps to the other team's pitching. They pitched well in big situations. As Mookie Betts likes to say, they drive a bend too, meaning they got just the amount of talent and star power that we have in those situations. But I really look to a team that is tired after this recent run. They're a little bit fatigued. Uh, they finally got their first day off here Monday. 
uh, following that giant series. They get another one on Thursday following this really short two-game freeway series. So I think a little rest will do this team well because including that Angels game on Tuesday, this team is two for 30 with runners in scoring position over their last four games. They've left 35 men on base. That is uncharacteristic for a team that has more stars than the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So that's what I look at as far as why the offense has been struggling a little bit here recently. Yeah, I, I think we kind of look at that offense a little bit more of a microscope just because of the expectations with this team, right? I mean, Dave Roberts before the year talking about how this team is going to uh, gonna win a World Series and how it's also put uh, somewhat of undue pressure on, on Dodgers pitching, which hasn't been bad at all um and, and it's been in spite of that that some of these offensive struggles have come at a tough time yeah you look at the team like the san francisco giants that they they just played in, and lost to over the weekend in the bay and that's a team that had been beset by injuries early in the season and you saw how it affected the giants you know without brandon belt without um uh, Anthony Giscafani, Alex Wood, a lot of injuries, and that team is not at the winning percentage cliff that they were at when they won 107 games and beat the Dodgers in a, you know, a photo finish to win the NL West in uh, the 2021 season. So you can see how injuries can be set that team. Now look at the Angels that came in on, on Tuesday and Wednesday for this freeway series. Uh, this team also beset by injuries recently, and they have lost more than Phil Mickelson at the sportsbook recently. So, and, and lost their manager and Joe Madden, who, who fresh got a red mohawk right before he got fired, too. I feel bad for him. But, you know, that's the thing. The Dodgers have had to absorb some injuries. Clayton Kershaw has missed a month. Uh, Walker Bueller now is going to be on the shelf for the next few months. Uh, Dustin May, who's been the starting rotation and a big part of the, the 2020 World Series run, the bubble, he's been out with Tommy John surgery. Uh, Blake Trinan, who was the presumptive closer after Kenley Jansen left in free agency, has pitched one appearance his entire season, and he's going to be out till September. So this Dodgers team is beset with injuries as well, but unlike some of those other teams, they have the depth to stay afloat. And that's the best thing I can say after this recent struggle. And like I said, the 30, 30 games and 31 days they just finished, they're still in first place. Um, and, and where would they be without NL wins leader, NL ERA leader, NL whip leader, Tony Gonsolin, who right now is pitching like an all-star, Tyler Anderson, who, who pitched on Wednesday against the Angels. Uh, these two guys have really, really kept the Dodgers afloat and, and are a big reason why uh, they're still in first place in the NL West. Michael J. Duarte is joining us from NBC Los Angeles. He's with us here on the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Josh Pacheco in for Bobby today. Uh, Clayton Kershaw came back over the weekend, uh, missed well, the last month, and, you know, he got the loss, but still wasn't all that bad. But looking at things from the Dodgers' perspective, Kershaw and injuries, they've kind of piled up over the last few years. How is this team handling Kershaw's injury situation? Yeah, and it's interesting what they, they called Kershaw's injury. They, they called it like a joint in the hip, but it's really the lower back area. And it's that lower back area that's played Clayton Kershaw the last five, six years of his uh, future Hall of Fame career. Uh, you know, Clayton Kershaw just had uh, another child here recently. He loves playing with his kids, picking him up, uh, running around, doing everything with them. I wonder if that puts some wear and tear on his back. Uh, he is notorious for going hard in the gym on his weight day training sessions in between starts. Uh, that's another thing that can have a lot of impact and, and pressure on that lower back. So they play it safe with Clayton Kershaw. They like to kind of, uh, if something flares up like it did 
err on the side of caution, put him on the IL for a few weeks, let him ramp up, let him do rehab start because similar to last year when they, you know, gave Kershaw a couple months off and he wasn't able to finish the season with some left elbow injuries. They know the final goal is October. So it's the same thing with Walker Buehler. Walker Buehler, take a couple months off. He just got uh, a surgery procedure on his right elbow. I'm talking about Walker Buehler right now. He had a bone spur removed that's been bugging him for the last uh, few seasons, to be honest with you. And he had talked about getting this off-season surgery, but never ended up getting it. But now that he's going to be shelved with this uh, flexor tendon strain in his right forearm, he said, why as well kill two birds with one stone and go get this bone spur removed. So he's going to be cleaned up, and he's going to be on the shelf for a few months as well. The Dodgers like to say it, all that matters is October. We have enough depth to keep us afloat and to get us into the postseason. So really they need Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Julio Arias, uh, these guys at full strength when it comes to October, and that's what matters to them. But, you know, even though Kershaw came back after missing a month and showed a little bit of signs of rust, rust excuse me, I think he only gave up two runs, one solo home run. So uh, he's pretty – he's fine. I'm not too worried about Clayton Kershaw in the long run. The ESPN.com headline, by the way, and Walker Bueller. Bueller removes bone spur like he's the guy that did it himself, which, uh, I mean, <laughs> it, it makes it makes Walker Bueller sound like a pretty tough dude. Um, but, but that being said, uh, needing him back in a couple of months, I mean, I would still expect the Dodgers are at the – the top of the division at that point, I would still expect that the offense starts to pick back up that if you're looking at the expectations of this team and looking at the month we're in being in June, that there is the ability to be kind of flexible and to, and to be a little more cautious and, and, and take your time a little bit more as compared to maybe a team in a different situation. Yeah, and then that's exactly what you just said. You know, we're heading into the dog days of summer here. And for any Major League Baseball team, this is where it gets tough. This is where, you know, when you're playing games 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 in the middle of summer, how do you get yourself up? How do you motivate yourself and inspire yourself to go out there and try to win each and every day? Uh, and this is why Major League Baseball is known as a marathon, not a sprint. It's why the Dodgers have mastered that part of the marathon, but not necessarily that final sprint the final kick as they say in the postseason which is more of a little bit of a crapshoot so uh i look at a guy like mitch white for example which was who was being used as the dodgers sixth starter while clayton kershaw and andrew heaney were on the il he's pitched a couple shutout performances recently really good he went sent down to triple a oklahoma city he was named the pacific league pitcher of the week uh while he was in oklahoma city so they have a guy like that they can bring up to fill Walker Buehler's shoes in the meantime. You have Dustin May, as I mentioned earlier, supposed to be coming back uh, around August, mid to late August. So that's going to help them. They have moves they could make at the trade end, potentially, if they want to go out and get a guy like Frankie Montas, who used to be a Dodger and is now on the A's. So they have moves they can make to kind of tread water, as we said, and just stay afloat. And, and it doesn't even have to be in first place in the West. As long as they're you know, in a playoff spot, I think they're going to be okay. And as you mentioned, you know, this team offensively, has not kicked on all cylinders the entire year so far, and we're over a quarter of the way through the season. Mookie Betts struggled at the beginning of the season, but he's been the hottest player uh, in the month of May uh, after that. Freddie Freeman and, and Trey Turner have been your most consistent players, but the, the one through three in that lineup, the, the murderer's row of Betts, Freeman, and Trey Turner have been what's kept you in first place this entire time. Max Muncy has been not the Max Muncy of past. He just took a few weeks off, went down and did a rehab assignment, fixed his swing, uh, hit a home run 
uh, in that series against the White Sox when they walked Trey Turner intentionally with two strikes in front of him. That got him going a little bit. Uh, Will Smith has struggled. Justin Turner has struggled. Cody Bellinger has struggled. So if this team can fire on all cylinders and have everybody going at the same time, and we're talking about the offense playing well, the defense playing well, the starting rotation pitching well, and the bullpen at the same time, that's when the Dodgers are at their peak, and that's when they're the most dangerous. And we have not seen that happen yet so far this season. Michael J. Duarte joining us from NBC Los Angeles. And I think this kind of leads to my last question as we are about a month plus out from the uh, the trade deadline. And you've mentioned all of these names that are expected on their way back. Uh, that would make me think that when we get to the trade, line, trade deadline that the Dodgers may not be major players. Would that be a fair assessment? That's a great, it's a great question. They might not be major players in the case that this might not be a year where they're going to get the marquee guy like a Max Scherzer like last season. Uh, there have been years where Andrew Friedman, you know, has gotten a couple small minor moves, uh, a starting pitcher and a bullpen arm. Uh, that's not like the all-star names that people want to hear or see, but it's enough to marginally improve your team. Uh, and that could be a situation this year. Now, as far as being there, Andrew Friedman's in every conversation. This is a guy who's a chess player. He's thinking three moves ahead. So I'm not surprised if he already has phone calls into, you know, half a dozen teams out there that if you're going to be sellers, you make the first call to us. This is also a team that notoriously has a great farm system, always ranked in the top 10. So they have players and prospects that they can trade and make moves on. So Andrew Friedman is going to be a player when it comes to the trade deadline. It's just going to be a matter of if a team's willing to part with something big uh, and at for the right price. So I might see, with, with like you said, with the, I, I guess you would say, uh, bolstering your, your rotation and your roster through health instead of maybe through the trade deadline or through free agency. And season. You have guys getting healthy, and so you're going to improve based on guys coming off the I.L., like Andrew Heaney coming back. Uh, like we said, Blake Trinan coming back second half. Dustin May, eventually Walker Bueller. So, you know, that's kind of how you can improve your team that way too. So they might make marginal moves that you might see uh, incrementally, but it could be big enough that improves this team and gets them over the, the finish line here in this marathon season. Michael J. Duarte, NBC, Los Angeles. Uh, should be an interesting next couple of months uh, as we get through the midway point of the year. Appreciate your time as always. Thank you so much. Anytime, Josh. Thank you. All right, Michael and all of our guests, they appear courtesy of our hotline here on the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 a.m. We'll go to your texts coming up in just a little bit. Another award for Jocelyn Allo was announced yesterday. What award it was that? Uh, that and more coming up after we take a look at traffic. I'm Josh Pacheco. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Follow us on Twitter at Bobby Curran Show. This is ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app. Current show on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 14.20 AM. Coming up, we will preview the new 30 for 30 documentary, Dream On, talking about the 1996 USA Women's Dream Team. 
that about 30 minutes from right now. The Zephyr Insurance text line's been buzzing this morning. You can text in at 808-296-1420. Text her from 721. Josh, knowing you're close to the baseball program, is the turf really being replaced at the less for next season? Also, what about the Wong batting facility? Uh, let's start with the turf. Uh, I haven't heard for sure that the uh, the turf is being replaced for next season. I know it is a it is a goal, an ambitious goal to get done. Um, and I have heard that there are some other factors in play that could potentially kind of force the turf to get done. Um, I think the question that I think a lot of people will, will lay down when they see that is, well, you get the turf done, if that's indeed going to be the case, but can't really make any improvements into the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. Why is that? Um, and I don't think we really have an answer to it, but I would I would raise once again the the situation with Les Murakami Stadium, and I will use the words of, of Coach Rich Hill at the time when he said that that turf is unsafe, that there are a couple of seams just kind of poking out from that turf, and I still remember that. It was it was the very next day after Jacoby Gala took a ground ball that took a, a weird hop off that turf and got him right in the chops and kind of forced him to make a, an emergency dental run and then have to find out that he needed a root canal. Poor guy. Seriously. Got to go to the dentist. Got to get some work done. Oh, um, yeah, we're you're, you're going to be okay. You can go back to baseball, but uh, we're going to need to schedule another appointment for a root canal. That's so demoralizing. And and you wonder why there are people that don't want to go to the dentist sometimes. You get worse news on top of bad news as it is. Um, but those kind of situations, I think, force you to um, expedite some things. I, I still remember the conversation, and, and you know some of us were around Coach Hill, I think, during batting practice when um when he was kind of describing the way he wanted it to look so for example the way he was hoping to have it well one the mound would be turf so everything would be turf uh b or one it's one two can't go one then b you got pick pick your lane josh letters or numbers figure it out two the outfield, in, in a perfect world, the outfield would be a silhouette of the Hawaiian Islands across the outfield. It would be really awesome. Really, really awesome. Uh, do you think of softball? They have the H in center field. Yeah, think about the, the islands draped across the outfield. And three, I almost said C. Three, instead of just the H behind home plate, it would be Hawaii spelled out in that in that top of print behind home plate now how cool would that be uh but most importantly that turf is is past due um you can see the discoloration on it and now i think it's been brought out that it's not maybe the safest turf so where that goes, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a sure thing that it gets done by next year. 
but I have heard conversations about it. Now, as for the batting facility, in which the texter called it the Wong Batting Facility, I don't know if it's going to officially bear that name um, if that if that happens, but I've, I've heard that there is uh, potential help from um, from Colton Wong on that. I, I, I don't know that the naming rights are exactly that, though. I, I don't know if there's a timetable on that. Again, the, the main thing to make that use functional was to take off the roof because it was condemned. You took off the roof, then it became an open-air facility, and you could use it. Yeah, I, I trust me, I'm not in the permitting business. I'm not in the housing business. I'm not in the construction business. It is not my area of expertise. <laughs> not at all. Um, I would imagine that if you're looking at priority, at least for me, it's Turf 1, Facility 2. But one thing that Rich Hill has been very adamant on, and I've and I've appreciated in in his efforts, is that he wants to see this facility respected to the point that it is kept up. It it it, it you know reminds everybody of those who have uh, you know have come before. Why you see the mural in the outfield. You know, we've seen previous to that, and I'll and I'll credit Mike Trapasso previously the work on the uh, on the new locker rooms, and and of course, you know, UH has done a, a a fairly good job of trying to keep up with stuff on its own. You know, work during the pandemic on the restrooms and 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 so on. So I think there's effort there, uh, but one thing Rich is not afraid of, he's not afraid of saying what he needs, because if if he wants to get the public support behind it too. So he's he's not afraid to to voice it to to try to get the help for for what he wants for his program. One more hour next. Now, Bobby Curran on ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app. us a part of your Wednesday morning. It is the Bobby Curran Show here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Great to have you in. Josh Pacheco in for Bobby today. All of our guests, when they appear, they do so courtesy of our hotline. We're going to preview coming up in just a little while. Um, the new 30 for 30 documentary called Dream On from, uh, from ESPN. We're going to preview it with the, the director of the film coming up in about 20 minutes. It, it documents the uh, 1996 uh, Team USA women's basketball team. And a uh, really cool piece. So we'll do that coming up uh, about less than 20 minutes from right now. Uh, we'll also, in case you didn't hear it earlier, we will uh, tell you the three winners in our uh, handsome dad contest from ESPNHonolulu.com. Uh, and I wish we could tell you their dad's names, but we'll tell you those who sent uh, the handsome dad photos in. We'll tell you about those winners coming up uh, probably about 8.35 this morning uh, here on the show. 
if you're just waking up and you're wondering, well, uh, uh, what do you need to know as uh, you get ready for your day and you're trying to figure out what's going on in sports? Well, uh, let us help you. Uh, you've got a couple of big Major League Baseball games a little bit later on, including Yankees-Rays. Yankees win yesterday, puts them now 10 up on the Rays in the American League East. 2 nothing win yesterday. Garrett Cole pitched very, very well. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa had an RBI. Uh, that will have first pitch just after 1 o'clock, and that will follow the Giants and the Kansas City Royals. Giants are starting uh, to play really well right now. Could the Live Tour be shunned? by at least one major. Just a little while ago, the CEO of the U.S. Golf Association, which runs the U.S. Open, was asked if there could be a day where players are denied access to the U.S. Open based on where they play. And Mike Wan, the CEO of the USGA, formerly, if I recall, the commissioner of the LPGA, Wan said, yes. More on that uh, coming up in just a little while. And congratulations to Jocelyn Allo, who was named uh, Class of 2022 Honda Sport Award winner. Uh, they announce these award winners to the top female athletes in 12 NCAA-sanctioned sports, signifying the best of the best in collegiate athletics. And uh, she becomes a finalist for the Collegiate Woman Athlete of the Year in the 2022 Honda Cup. June 27th on CBS Sports Network, uh, although chosen from a, a vote of administrators from over 1,000 NCAA schools. So uh, congratulations to her. And again, the uh, Collegiate Women's Sports Awards, June 27th, 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, 3 o'clock Hawaii time. That is on CBS Sports Network. We've spent a lot of time on golf over the last week especially because this live tour has been uh, such a lightning rod for controversy. And, you know, given right now, you've got some of these live golfers who are quali who have qualified for the U.S. Open because of what they have done in, uh, you know, on the PGA Tour previously or what they've done on other tours. And all of this time... What we've really heard is we've heard this just animosity from golfers who don't like their they're being asked about it from uh, you know the the head of the PGA Tour Jay Monahan saying you know has anybody ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour to Brandel Chambly an analyst for Golf Channel who basically advocated last night on Twitter for Phil Mil Phil Mickelson and, and uh, Greg Norman to be excluded from the Golf Hall of Fame. A lot of these crazy, crazy things. But the game changer might have come down earlier this morning, and I just read that to you a second ago. Mike Wan, who is the CEO of the USGA, when asked about a potential day where Players could be denied access to the U.S. Open based on where they play. And Juan said yes. The different majors, they are not run by the PGA Tour. Uh, they are run separately. I mean, you, you know that. If you, if you follow golf enough, you know that the United States Golf Association, the USGA, 
is who runs the U.S. Open. It's not anybody else. Uh, the PGA Tour has it as one of their four majors, but of course the PGA Tour doesn't run any of those majors. It's it's basically in, in an agreement that they have in, in making that a part of the schedule. But what's great about the majors, you know, and in, in, in what... Uh, what they do at Augusta, it's not just the best from the PGA Tour. It's not just, you know, the top amateur from, from the year prior. It's it's not just that. You know, one of the great things about some of these majors, you have, you know, the best from the European Tour that qualifies. The U.S. The, the US Open, what's been really great about that event is you have had, um, you know, the, the, the longest day in golf. You've got all these qualifiers, these... Um, you know, golfers across the country hoping to to qualify for this, you know, prestigious event. We've seen so many from Hawaii try and and qualify based on their performances. But it's always been about the best of the best competing in these major championships. What's very clear right now, as long as this at live tour exists let's put aside whose money it is and i'm not i'm not i'm not saying putting it aside because it doesn't matter for the sake of this particular conversation at the moment let's put aside whose money it is the saudi's money and let's just look at the overreaching benefits of the schedule let's look at the overreaching view of um why these golfers are going and then take the words of the leader of the USGA. If you want real impacts potentially to, to alter the course of the sport, it's not the PGA Tour whining and griping and moaning to get their way that's going to do it. And honestly, the live tours make a little bit of an impact because of the conversation, but it's not going to be the live tour that makes the impact on how the, 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 the golf game moves. What do most people know golf for? The casual fans, the not so casual fans. What do most people watch in golf? They watch the masters. They watch the U S open. They watch the open championship. They watch the PGA championship because those are the ones that matter the most. They are the quote-unquote majors. Once you have a major who openly says, we're not going to allow someone from another tour to qualify. So if you're on the live tour, and I think you're going to see more really good golfers qualify for the live tour, whether they are considered over the hill or not, as long as there's money to funnel, and less events to play, and a easier ability to make a quote-unquote living, um, you're going to have more. But once these events start saying, nope, not going to happen. And, and the USGA said earlier, I think it was last week, you know, we're we're not going to leave people out. We're not going to you know punish people from participating in the event because you know they're uh, in another tour. But once you do that, now the game changes. There is, at least for some of these golfers, that prestige of winning a major. And, you know, granted, 
every uh, every tour has what they consider you, know, you go to the European tour. Who, by the way, the European tour has announced punishment for um, you know its members who played in Live Golf. They they don't call it the European tour anymore. They call it the DP World Tour. Uh, but they have punished. Uh, they've held off punishment. Or I, th- I said they did punish. They actually held off punishment until uh, June 23rd. They said, and I quote, As for what we are going to do because of the complexity of our situation, we are still evaluating an overall course of action. We will use the next seven days to continue to assess the impact the two conflicting events in the UK had on our own tournaments played in those weeks, as well as on your tour overall. Talking about uh, that your tour being the live tour. That's where the game changes. The game's not, you know, for any for anybody saying, well, the the sport of golf has changed. Not yet. Not yet. This is the start. Right? This is where we start rolling the ball forward, but where the ball rolls from this point on is now dependent on the people in the priority positions of making the ball move where they want it to move. And, you know, in the instance of, to me, let's take Jay Monahan out of it. Let's take, uh, you know, these these tour commissioners out of it. Let's, let's take all of these people out of the conversation. Um, it is going to be about the top players in the world. Top 30, top 40. And if more of them say, you know, we only want to play a few events a year. We want to play a whole weekend and not worry about missing a cut. Uh, I like a guaranteed payout. I'd like more time with family. You're going to see it. And then once you see the major championships make their move, then that is going to be, I think, your your final nail. So you're hearing Mike Wan today from the USGA. The next person I think you want to hear from, because, you know, the DP World Tour's got something to say. Uh, what about RNA? What about the Royal and Ancient? Do they have a problem? And would the RNA consider potentially some kind of a ban? Because technically, right now, do you have anybody who's qualified from that particular tour? Probably not. Well, not probably not. Nobody's qualified. There's no real agreement. Would the RNA do that? Um, would the Masters do it? Would Augusta National consider something like that and wipe that part out? And, and of course, the PGA of America. And when that happens, there will be a day that Tiger's not competitive anymore. And he can't come back and save the sport, which he has kind of done being trendy again, coming back from injury and trying to compete. There will be a day where that never happens. And there will be a day where more top golfers want to do less and make more instead of have to figure out uh, you know, a, a grueling schedule to compete for what a FedEx Cup or, or compete in different events. That time will come, 
And at that point, you will then have to consider the major's role in shaping the face of the sport and shaping the meaning of the sport and what's important in the sport. That, to me, was was the biggest one this morning. Just one word. Just one word from Mike Juan to me said everything I needed to know about where the landscape potentially changes, how it potentially changes, and who changes it. Not, not everybody yelling at the media and throwing out, you know, amazingly horrid takes. Not any of those people. But those who might actually make a difference. Text us via the Zephyr Insurance text line at 808-296-1420. You can call us at 808-296-1420. You can send us your tweets at Bobby Curran Show. You can get to me at Josh on the radio. Off of that golf subject for a moment, Jeff texts in, they should put the Aloha Stadium scoreboard somewhere soon. Uh, This is in response to a conversation about the current state of the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex, and, well, the current state of Aloha Stadium, too. Uh, you may recall Brian McInnes' report from Spectrum News that the Aloha Stadium scoreboard is not going to go in to the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex this season, as was initially thought, and the initial thought was it would go in probably along the facing of Les Murakami Stadium, visible uh, toward people at the athletics complex, it's there's supply issues there's funding issues um you know there are a lot of things that enter into play it's not for lack of care or lack of wanting to do it it's um you know a a lot of issues out of really of david matlin's control that have kind of pushed this back just a little bit but this one to me is is one of the bigger bummers than just the attendance number Uh, i said this before uh Fan experience is important to me. I'm a big believer in, in improving fan experience. I'm a big believer in doing what other places have done. You know, one of the nice things about being able to travel to to, to Big West baseball uh, venues and to go see some minor league venues, some of the things that schools are doing to uh, enhance the fan experience, even in places that might have a you know, smaller amounts of people. Uh, ordering on your phone instead of having to wait in line at a concession. You can pay on your phone or someone comes to you, they've got one of those mobile card readers and you can pay there. That was at UC Santa Barbara. Um, you see minor league places, hey, order on your phone, someone will bring it to you. There's an opportunity to, to, to hire people to do that potentially. And I think the other one, you know, I, I'm a big believer in that experience so you don't miss as much action. You know, The other one is being able to see the score and for those that went to games and i know there's not a lot of you because there weren't a lot of games for fans to see that um the scoreboard is kind of an obstructed view for some because of where it is located and that can be kind that can, that, that's to me that's a, a basic necessity you go to a venue every seat should have the ability to see time and score you can see time well i should well i should say Time score down in distance in football. You can see time on the field. You can see game clock. You can see play clock. They did a good job of that. But you can't see, and again, um, no one's fault. It's just what they had to do in a short time crunch and what and, and, and the real estate that they had to work with. Um, 
everybody should have the ability to see time scored down in distance. We in our booth don't even get to see truly uh, from a good vantage point down in distance and score. We have to see it on a television monitor from the television program feed. So the biggest bummer of everything that's had to be pushed back to me is that scoreboard. Um, what are you going to do with it when Aloha Stadium gets knocked down? If Aloha Stadium, well, not if, it will, just when. What are you going to do when that happens? Uh, where are you going to put it? And, you know, I, I worry about the quality of it when it's at, when you got to put it back up after not being used for a while. Because that is, to me, I'm, I'm a big believer in fan experience. And that is, to me, one of the important aspects of fan experience that I think has been unfortunately lost. Coming up, uh, we'll preview Dream On. It's the 30 for 30 from ESPN Films that premieres tonight. Uh, that coming up next, courtesy of our hotline. This is the Bobby Curran Show. I'm Josh Pacheco. You're listening to ESPN Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by PVT Land Company, supporting academics, athletics, and the community on the YNI Coast. Last hour, we will announce the three winners of our most handsome dad contest uh, over at ESPNHonolulu.com. Because we know not everybody can hear it at the same time. So uh, we will reveal that for those that missed it coming up in just a little while. I am looking forward to tonight the new ESPN 30 for 30 from ESPN Films. It's called Dream On, and it chronicles the journey of the 1996 Women's Olympic basketball team. It premieres tonight, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, which is 2 o'clock Hawaii time, uh, on ESPN Television. The director of the 30 for 30 Dream On is Kristen Lapis, and uh, Kristen joins us now here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. The timing of this, Kristen, and, I, and congratulations, by the way, on uh, so Dream much. On Thanks being put together. Me. Yeah, the, the timing of this is so important, especially um, you know, with the 50th anniversary of Title IX and talking about one of the most influential uh, you know, women's athletics teams this country has seen in, uh, in Team USA. Talk about how this all really came together. Absolutely, and I think it's one of the, the teams that has kind of been overlooked. I've been calling them like the hidden figures of women's sports because – their, their impact has been so enormous, and I really don't think a lot of people know the ins and outs of the story. Um, so, you know, in 2018, this goes back like, you know, four years now, uh, NBA Entertainment actually came to us at 30 for 30 in ESPN Films, and they mentioned, they were like, listen, we've documented um, two teams kind of run throughout a season behind the scenes, um, being with them on the buses, on, in, in the hotels, and and, um, you know, kind of documenting every move they've made. And one of those teams is the 97-98 Bulls, which is obviously the impetus for the last dance. And the other team was this 1995-1996 women's uh, national team. And did we have any interest in potentially doing something with this 500 hours of never-before-seen footage of this team? 
Um, at the time, obviously, we were really, really intrigued. We had a ton of stuff already in the works. And so, like, you know, we get hundreds of pitches at 30 for 30 every month. And it kind of was an interesting concept to us, but we kind of tabled it. And then 2020 rolls around and, you know, live sports are gone and we're kind of revisiting and reevaluating what documentaries we want to put into production. And, you know, I was a huge fan of this team. I was nine years old when they played in the 96 Olympics. I had a Lisa Leslie jersey and kind of worshipped these women and so um, kind of brought it back to the top of the list. And we started to kind of pitch it to ESPN executives at that point um, selling it as, hey, look, let's do this awesome film on this group of women as a celebration of the 50-year anniversary of Title IX. And so that's kind of how it got started. Um, it was commissioned as a 77-minute film. Once we started interviewing all of the women and learning about kind of all of the off-the-court sacrifices and personal struggles that they had during this year-long run um, into the Olympics, we decided that it should be a three-part series. So we... <laughs> went back to our bosses and we're like, we need you to double the length of this uh, documentary and kudos to them. They gave us the space and the platform to do that. So um, that's kind of how it all originated and, and how we got to a, a three-part documentary series. And it's it's the first multi-part 30 for 30 on female athletes, which we're all really proud of. Absolutely. And you should be proud of that for sure. And again, it, it premieres tonight uh, on ESPN television. It streams later on ESPN plus. And I know there's some special airings on, uh, on ABC uh, in a couple of weekends, you know, I, I've seen some of the promotional stuff over the course of the day because I've got uh, ESPN on my monitor here. And one of the things that stands out to me as as you were talking, one of the, the images that keeps flashing in my mind is of the the notoriety of this team. And, you know, those that like like you said, you looked up to them when you were younger and there were a lot of people young and young at heart that looked up to that group as well as they were making that run. And then you said something about the things that, that these women had to work through. And, and I guess my question to you is with that, that increased notoriety and interest and fame in that group because of how good they were, how successful that were and how trailblazing they were, um, were some of the struggles, were there some struggles that came from that, that some of these individuals had to work through? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I was shocked when these women, they brought like their full truth to these interviews. I don't know if it was like, because it was 25 years later, they felt like they could be totally forthcoming and honest and reflective on that experience. Um, you know, as grown women now, you know, looking back on something that happened when they were in their early 20s, um, they sacrificed and struggled in a million different ways. Um, first of all, huge pay cuts. Most of these women were playing overseas at the time, um, making you know hundreds of thousands of dollars. And every woman that uh, played on this women's national team in 95 and 96 was paid $50,000 for the full year. Um, and that was it. <laughs> uh, they traveled in coach middle seats from here to Russia uh, they, you know, opted for buses instead of, you know, um, airplanes. It was, it was all done, um, you know, for a bud, you know, a small budget because, again, like the NBA um, was kind of the 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 financiers behind this tour because they were kind of using this team as a, a test case for whether people, fans, audiences would be receptive to women's basketball and potentially a, a professional women's league in the United States. So, you know, the NBA was great for, for financing and taking a chance on this team, but 
you know, this team wasn't bringing in a lot of money, and so there wasn't a lot of money put into it. And so there were a ton of sacrifices and struggles. On top of that, you know, they were being marketed a very specific way in order to kind of appeal to the masses. They were being, you know, marketed as very feminine, and they were asked to kind of hide parts of their identities, parts of their image. Um, You know, one of the women in the film, I think one of the, hardest moments for me doing my interviews was talking to Jennifer Azy and her admitting that she thought that she was cut from the 1992 Olympic team because she was gay and she didn't feel comfortable coming out until 2015, which kind of blew my mind. Um, so all of these women were kind of dealing with these personal struggles off the court, but kind of tabled all of those things because they were trying to advance women's basketball. And that's the coolest part about this is like, it was all to move the sport and the game forward for future generations, um, which I thought was awesome. You know, we're talking with Kristen Lapis, who's the director of Dream On. It's the uh, three-part ESPN 30 for 30 series, which premieres tonight on ESPN television. Um, a lot of what you documented there still, and, you know, unfortunately, as we celebrate Title IX, it also shows kind of what we've still dealt with, right? Um, you know, in, in some of the pay disparity, in some of, the, you know, the, the differences in how uh, teams have traveled. It, I, I still think of pay in WNBA, which is still nowhere close to, um, you know, it, it, it's forced some to play in multiple leagues overseas year-round to be able to make money. And I think right. of, of U.S. women's soccer. Um, you know, this is kind of shines a light on what is still a struggle in this country despite some of what this team tried to push through when it when it had its opportunity absolutely and you know all of the women on that team will, would say and we had our uh, big premiere event at madison square garden Hulu theater last thursday and all of the women flew in to be there in person to see the movie on the big screen and we had a panel afterwards and each of them said they were like we've come a long way but the fact that we're announcing that this is the first multi-part 30 for 30 on female athletes, the fact that there's a first happening in 2022 is still, like, indicative of the fact that, like, there needs to be more. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many stories to be told. There's so many wonderful athletes to be, you know, showcased and highlighted. You know, the WNBA, the actual talent and play in that league has gotten so, so good if people just gave it a chance. Um, and so what we're kind of challenging people, you know, to, to think about is, like, it's nice that, you know, we're all celebrating the 50-year anniversary of Title IX and we're telling all of these stories this month. But what's going to happen, you know, 50 days from now, 50 months from now? You know what I mean? Like, how are we going to continue to push this forward and not just celebrate it this month and kind of move past it? Um, and I think that's a really, you know, a really interesting thing. Uh, I know that Dawn Staley and Tara Vanderveer and Rebecca Lobo and a lot of the women that are featured in the film all are still involved in the game today. And so, you know, it's their personal mission to kind of keep pushing things along and forward um, and, and fighting for that equality. As we get ready for part one, is there a, a theme specifically in part one that, that people will notice when they watch? You know, there's there's a lot of great moments um, in this footage, which, again, it's 25 years old and has never been seen before. One of my favorite uh, moments in in part one is the team kind of dealing with Tara Vanderveer, who was a brutally hard coach 
uh, and a lot of women actually thought about quitting the team at one point or another. And there's this scene where they kind of all band together um, and turn a corner and the sisterhood kind of evolves. And it's a really cool moment towards the end of part one that I think people will really enjoy. And I think from there, we kind of take off, um, and the rest of the film is just a, an awesome celebration of this team. But uh, that, that's my favorite moment in part one is is them kind of all banding together um, against Tara uh, at the end of episode one. 2 p.m. Hawaii time. And I, and I do believe you spoke to Tara too, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Tara is one of our you know main subjects in the film. She was so gracious with her time and extremely honest about this year. And it's fascinating to, to listen to her because – from her perspective, she did what she had to do, which was win a gold medal, which led to the formation of the WNBA. So she has no regrets over that year, which, you know, kudos to her. She's a mastermind. Um, she's obviously won three national championships, and um, her philosophy is she stays true to. So she's, she's an awesome person, and, um, yeah, she'll definitely be featured heavily throughout the three hours. Kristen Lapis is the director of Dream On. It's the uh, ESPN 30 for 30 three-part series, which debuts today, 2 o'clock on ESPN Television, streaming later on ESPN Plus, and there will be some special airings on uh, ABC over the next few weekends as well. Kristen, congratulations again. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing this, and I know a lot of our listeners are as well, uh, to, to really look back at a, at a special team, but also to, to see where we still need to go uh, as we celebrate 50 years of Title IX. Kristen, thank you for giving us some of your time. Absolutely. And if you're not a, a women's basketball fan, that's okay. I think this is just a really awesome sports movie, and you should absolutely uh, tune in tonight. <laughs> Will do. Kristen, thank you. All right, thanks. That's Kristen Lapis, the director of uh, ESPN Films' is 30 for 30 Dream On. Again, that's at 2 o'clock. Uh, for part one on ESPN television. We'll take a look at surf right now. I'm Josh Pacheco. You're listening to the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. You're listening to the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Text or call the show at 296-1420. Thanks for making us a part of your Wednesday. This is the Bobby Curran Show here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Great to have you in today. Uh, all of our guests, when they appear, they do so courtesy of our hotline. Uh, our thanks to uh, Kristen Lapis from uh, ESPN Films, Michael J. Duarte from uh, NBC Los Angeles, who is with us uh uh, a, a little while ago. And then uh, earlier today, we had uh, Cam Rogers, uh, golf and betting analyst, the uh, Lock It In podcast from the Believe Podcast Network. Cam was with us earlier uh, here on ESPN Honolulu. Coming up in about two minutes, the latest on the Deshaun Watson situation. We heard from Deshaun Watson yesterday in what was... Well, really not the finest moment for Deshaun and also a reminder that it's not the finest moment for the Cleveland Browns either since they decided that uh, they wanted Deshaun Watson so badly that they would restructure or they would structure a contract so badly to make sure that Deshaun Watson would be taken care of. 
even in the midst of any kind of potential punishment in which he could potentially lose pay, that they still wanted to take care of him. And uh, just it, it's still bizarre to, to think of, and it's still bizarre to think that Deshaun Watson could still very well play this year. Uh, as long as the NFL still hasn't come down with uh, with with any kind of punishment over his situation, which is again, it's a a very fluid situation. You'll hear Kevin Stefanski, the uh, Browns head coach, uh, who spoke yesterday as uh, part of that media availability. That's coming up in just a little bit. If you missed it last hour, the uh, Father's Day winners are uh, uh, most handsome dad contest at ESPNHonolulu.com. We had a lot of good entries, and thank you for all uh, to all of you who dropped in your handsome dad photos. To you dads who have so much confidence that you dropped in your own photos, <laughs> uh, thank you to you. Uh, you're one of the reasons why we have just so much fun uh, with with doing things like these contests and doing have you know just having fun with some of these shows. Uh, you guys are one of the reasons why we we appreciate you just playing along. But we have our finalists, our, our top three, and each of our top three won prizes. Uh, and really, and, and, and the winners here are those who sent in the photos. We don't have a, a, you know, the names of the dads, unfortunately. Uh, but here are the winners from our Father's Day contest, our Most Handsome Dad contest. The third place winner, Danielle from Waipahu, who scores uh, Yoas Sorbets and Aquascapes gift cards. The second place winner, uh, who scores a City Mill Prize and Pagoda Banquets and Catering Feast. That's to Crystal from Waipahu. And the first place winner bringing us the most handsome dad and uh, allowing us to bring that individual to Castle Resorts and Hotel Staycation. That's Tasha from Eva Beach. Congratulations to our top three. And thank you, everybody, for uh, enlightening all of us. And uh, thank you to those of you who voted, by the way, in our uh, Most Handsome Dads contest. We mentioned uh, Deshaun Watson spoke yesterday. So did Kevin Stefanski, the head coach of the Browns, addressing the Deshaun Watson situation. Uh, this was Kevin Stefanski yesterday. Take a listen. I think, Jeff, with that, I'm going to be consistent and, and with what I've told you before, and I'm just going to let that situation play out. Does it affect you, though? Like when, you, when, when the news comes out and you see it, does it, does it have an effect on you? Aside from your respect in the process, I understand that, but like when you, when you see it, yeah, I'm not going to get into those type of things. I would just tell you every single day, trying to make sure that, that we uh, focus on what is in front of us. Coach, what do you say to the team about that? Because obviously you can't totally block it out. I mean, it's in the headlines almost every day now. So what do you as the coach say to the team? You have to have addressed this at some point. I, I think with anything that's happening outside of our building, we've been very consistent with our team and making sure that we focus on our jobs when we walk into the building. And that's, that's uh, this situation, any situation, you name it, you got to make sure that you have a job to do when you're here. And that's really what we're trying to do. As you can tell, listening to Kevin Stefanski yesterday, um, there, are not a, there are no winners here. And Kevin Stefanski's put in a really, really tough situation. You have to be the head coach, and you have to find some sort of leadership capability where there is a clear void in leadership in general in this situation. You usually ask of your quarterback to be a leader, but that quarterback um, is currently staring straight in the face of a potential NFL suspension. 
over, uh, you know, alleged sexual misconduct and more women apparently coming out. Uh, not just thanks to that New York Times report last week, but from what was on Real Sports. And um, you know, this is not anything that has just died down and gone away. And to even say that would be in- incredibly disingenuous. But you hear someone who clearly is not even comfortable in handling this. I don't know. I mean, I it's one thing to trot your head coach out when practice begins, camp's underway, and, um, you know, you have to trot out your head coach. And what's very clear to me is there was really no preparation here for Kevin Stefanski and how to handle um, – these situations, how to handle these questions. The mistake that was made was putting Deshaun Watson out there because Deshaun Watson looked um, incredibly naive and came off as really unaware of the seriousness of what was in front of him, but at the same time, it was not in a setting where he could really address it. That was not the setting. To me, Deshaun Watson speaking to the media a day after two more claims are being announced is a terrible idea. And if Deshaun were to do media, if I were a PR person in the Cleveland organization or if I were Deshaun's agent, I would say, you know, first day at camp, or I guess you expect a quarterback to, to be in front of the media. I would have suggested that any initial media appearances probably get done in like a one-on-one setting, not in a media scrum, where you're kind of off guard and you say things that uh, don't look good, like, you know, you're regretting things for those close to you and for your team, but, you know, still being very firm on on his innocence and, and really not being aware of who else this actually affects. It's not just his family. It's not just his team. There are other people that are affected by these allegations too. And it just kind of seemed like he didn't, again, in this setting, didn't really understand it. Kevin Stefanski, I think clearly in this case, was not prepared to handle these questions. And that should have, that that's a PR director's job right out of the gate. You know this is happening. You know the questions are coming. Kevin, you're going to be asked this. Here's how you need to handle it. Here's how you need to address it. Don't come off as naive. Don't come off as clueless. You have to sound like a leader. You have to sound like a head coach who's aware of what's in front of him and how he has to respond for his team. And Stefanski clearly did none of that yesterday. Uh, We'll wrap up the program next. First, we take a look at traffic here on the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Follow us on Twitter at Bobby Curran Show. This is ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app. Thanks for making us a part of your Wednesday today. I'm Josh Pacheco. Bobby Curran's got the day off. It is the Bobby Curran Show here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Just in, 
Bellator has announced Elima Lay McFarland's next fight. Uh, remember, she lost here in the uh, the homecoming bout for Bellator. Just was it was it uh, April? I believe it was right. Was it the end of April? Uh, Elima Lay McFarland will fight again in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, at Bellator 284 on August 12th against Bruna Ellen uh, of Brazil. And um, you know that that is uh, that is interesting because. Her path back to to a belt, which I know um, uh, she has talked about in her return, she wants to win a title again. You know her her path back to a belt got a little bit tougher uh, with with not winning her last bout, and so she'll have to kind of you know detour a little bit. That will be an interesting bout in South Dakota uh, coming up on August twelfth. And uh, the other news this morning, the American we've heard. Uh, they have made the announcement official July 1st, 2023. The six new members joining the American Athletic Conference, Charlotte, Florida Atlantic, North Texas, Rice, UAB, and UT San Antonio. Man, the WAC got... what? UT San Antonio, were they in the WAC last year? I don't think so. Or they may be in the WAC in other sports. Um, the WAC is just so, well, WAC. <laughs> I I couldn't think of anything more clever than that to be honest with you. I just I had to settle for uh as the guys were using my terms so often yesterday, the low-hanging fruit word of whack. But the Americans going to build, of course, this is on the news that um the Americans going to lose some of their schools in 2023 uh to the Big 12. Real quick, uh one texter into us Apparently, he's going to be watching the Stanley Cup final, which uh, is on ABC. Coming up a little bit later on today. Texter from the 781. Colorado will easily defeat Tampa for the Stanley Cup. And on that note, regrettably, that's the show for today. We'll see you tomorrow.